Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast. With age, I've become passionate about finding the best ways to refresh the mind, refuel the body and rebuild strength so that I can keep doing what I love into my 60s and 70s. If you've got similar goals, then I hope you'll continue to join me each week as I bring you amazing guests, all with the goal of helping you to improve your health and sporting performance, regardless of whether you're a triathlete, ocean swimmer, ultra runner, or gravel racer. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to say thank you so much to Michael Gregson, whose generous donation has covered the costs of this week's podcast. Michael, this episode's dedicated to you. In the four and a half years since the podcast launch, we've managed to do so without adverts. And I'd like to continue in this manner, but the costs of producing the weekly podcast are growing annually. If you're interested in making a one-off or a regular donation like Michael to this podcast to help cover our costs, then in return, I will dedicate the episode to you and we can avoid that thorny issue of advertising. You can find a link in the show notes or you can email beth at thetriathloncoach.com for further details. So today's guest, do you ever feel overwhelmed and fearful of situations? I don't mean facing down a mugger, but fearful of having that tough conversation with a co-worker or your boss, or maybe it's the thought of entering a cold, dark lake at your next triathlon. Today's guest is David DiFrancesco, who had exactly the same, but he learned how to deal with them and now teaches human beings to become living warriors by helping them to recognize that life is an inherent unknown and we will feel uncomfortable at times, and rather than avoiding that feeling of being vulnerable, we develop the strength of resilience and a knowing confidence that we can handle anything that comes our way. If you ever feel like overwhelm or fear affects your ability to get stuff done, then what David talks about in this conversation might help you. So let's hear from David. Welcome to the show, David DiFrancesco. Thank you, Simon. Glad to be here and glad to be here with your audience. Well, David, you and you connected with me via LinkedIn, and I was intrigued by the title of your business, The Living Warrior. And I thought, oh, this is something I need to find out a little bit more about. So we had an initial conversation a few weeks ago, and well, we could have done the podcast on that day, couldn't we? We got into a really good conversation, which I hope we're going to be able to recreate in some way today. So just give us a brief elevator pitch about what you do, and then we'll go right back to the beginning and find out how you got there. All right. Well, very briefly, uh, we'll, we'll talking about how I got there, but very briefly, what I do now is I have people bring me their pain and their um, challenges. And through my experiences and what I've learned and how I've been doing this for so many decades, I, I help them into a point of healing for them, whether it's physically, mentally, and emotionally. Well, that, that, that's, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Because we've all got baggage that we've accumulated over the years. And I, I once remember once reading this um, article where the author painted a picture of somebody walking around with a backpack. And as they went along with the backpack, they picked up a rock and they never discarded any rocks. They just kept collecting rocks. And if those are the rocks, those rocks represent stresses that we have. Eventually, if it was a backpack full of rocks, we'd be buckling under the weight of it, wouldn't we? And if those stresses we never get rid of, we just keep accumulating them over time. Eventually, we buckle under the strain and we can't cope. 
That's absolutely right. And we can add to that also our stories and our perceptions that we've accumulated through our lives as well that may or may not be valid. And so there's a little bit of work through on those as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting. I'm going to come back to that one because you talk about how you went through this process and sort of went about correcting the stories that you had. So maybe we can get into that now then. So take us right back to where your story began. I think it was when you were at college, wasn't it? That is exactly right. So without going into all the specifics of how I generated my uh, beliefs about myself and everything, let's just say I did not go into my early adulthood with anywhere near the tools or the self-confidence or anything that I really needed to be successful. I had a lot of um, uh, concerns and issues that I had not worked out. And when I got into the early days of college, I realized that a lot of my beliefs, a lot of my understandings about how life was supposed to be and my experience of it and all of those things uh, were, was not going as I had, had estimated or thought they were going to be. So I became had extreme periods of disillusionment. Managed to get through my first year and uh, came home, of course, for the, for the summer and went back for the second year. Mm -hmm. And it was in that second year that it just, I just realized it wasn't getting better, it was getting worse. And I was, I was getting into a, a point of crisis. So ultimately, right around Christmas in, in that second year of, of uh, college, I uh, attempted suicide. And, and coming on the other end of that, of course, I got thrown out of school. You know, my whole life was, mm. was really devastated. And I went through about a two-year, very dark period. I'm lucky, and then I did not get any further self-destructive, but I really reached a very bad point with my my thoughts about myself and everything. And I had someone share with me. I was talking to somebody at the time, and I had someone share with me a, a simple. It was a simple sentence, and he says, "It's only going to get better when you decide it's going to be." And I that it was like the it was like the bells rang, the clouds parted, you know, every, it was like, he's right. Um, wow. He, he's absolutely right. So I knew enough about myself that I had a lot of concerns, a lot of fears, a lot of issues that I needed to work through. And I knew that I needed to put myself through some, some scenarios and some, some things that really challenged me. 12 to 15 years working on myself and putting myself in, the, in pretty much every scenario that I was scared about, afraid of heights. I went, I, I did rock climbing. I, you know, I, I was afraid of aggression. So I took up boxing and, and martial arts. Um, ultimately, in the, in the scheme of all of these things, I encountered some, uh, I attracted some coaches into my life, uh, former Navy SEAL, um, and a big shout out. He's since passed away. Richard Makowitz was his name, uh, 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 former Israeli Mossad and a former Russian Spetsnaz. And in the midst of all of them, I was, I was doing hand-to-hand -hand combat and I was learning a couple other things through them. In the midst of all of this, I came to the understanding that these men that we saw as successful, as we saw as achievement. Uh, in, the, in the achievement of their lives and their experiences had going on inside their minds, the very same fears and the same, very same trepidations and the very same concerns that we all did. And I was able to learn in my training with them, what it was that took them from where we are at with our fears and our concerns and brought it to where they're at with their achievements. And I realized that a lot of it's up in the, <laughs> up in the noodle and a lot of, okay. Yes. I'm interested how you managed to 
uh, accumulate three coaches who'd all been in the special forces. Was that just because of the situations you were putting yourself in, like um, martial arts and boxing, and that tends to attract those sorts of people? And so, yes. go, you became associated with them. That's exactly right. Um, okay. that, the, the, the scenarios that I was putting myself in were were basically being taught by the, those individuals. And I said I kind of went to the extreme level on things. It was enough. It was not enough to just get a boxing teacher over at the local gym. It was you know I'm going to mm. I'm going to I'm going to seek out some experts here. So um, in the process of all of that, I, I discerned that the. The, the, the real skill set here is not just physical, it's actually mental and emotional. And it can, allowed me to kind of frame with my experiences with all three of these men, uh, a better understanding of how to get through those fears and uh, those challenges and get to what I saw on the other side. So anyway, long story short, ultimately through all these this decade, these 15 years of, of work on myself, I was able to accumulate enough experiences to completely change the stories about myself, completely under reframe what I thought life was supposed to be and my, my um, experience of it, what I wanted out of my life. And uh, it brought me to the point where I, through these experiences, sort of the world just kind of started bringing to me men who themselves wanted to go into the special forces. And so I was able to, again, further, um, put together my my coaching with through that and help them into their into their roles. Okay, so that that's that's quite interesting for me and probably for a lot of the listeners is that we would imagine that individuals who make it through selection which is a tough process. I think there's actually a book out isn't there? I don't recall the title which outlines the um the whole selection process of the Navy SEALs and we might expect that people that go into that succeed because they're physically tough and they're mentally tough and they are, they are already mentally tough in order to be able to pass that sort of thing. You know, they've acquired those skills through childhood and uh, early teens and what have you. But so what you're saying is that they do not necessarily start out like that. They just no, and- learn from an early age, how to, how to process things and build resilience so that then that enables them to get through um, SEAL training. I'm actually going to do that one better. It was the men who came to me who seemed the most prepared and the most capable who didn't make it. So, it was, sorry, sorry, just to interrupt. So when you say the most prepared and most capable, you're talking about the people who seem the physically fittest and who you'd think they're going to walk through it. They'll be able to do 100 press-ups, run a mile, swim, you know. And, had their, and yeah. had their life in order. They had never failed at anything. They were always very successful. And what I discovered, it was the people who were like behind the eight ball. They were the, they were the ones that were challenged either physically, uh, overweight, underweight, uh, uh, stumbling over their own feet, um, had, you know, been bullied. Uh, the, the people who had um, absolutely very little of any achievements in their life, if not, if anything, a lot of failures, they were the one who made, they were, they were the one who made it. And that was what really dawned on me we're going to talk more about in this call in this conversation is resilience. It's like, what I'm getting to is that the, it was the people who had not gone through those tests and had been challenged in a way that sort of in, in the heart and the soul of what they were doing that didn't have the resilience 
to withstand what they were what they were encountering, whether it was physically or in life. And what I discovered was it was that those small nuggets of resilience that these other men had 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 somehow cobbled together mm-hmm. in their life experiences up to that point, and then obviously strengthening and building on those. That was that was the missing. That was one of the big missing pieces in all of this. And so that was, I think, a huge aha for me. And that's part of what my work has gone through since. Have you worked with elite athletes and found the same to be true there, that those who go through, say, their teenage years being the best, untouchable, we've probably all heard stories both in the UK and in the US and around the world of um, athletes who were breaking age group world records and, you know, already being highlighted as this is the next great hope, this is the next Michael Phelps, this is the next, etc. But then once they get into the big boys league and they start competing against all of the adults they just don't progress any further and there are others who i mean and maybe that's something to do with physical development as well and sort of like how that takes place at different ages but those who've had to work hard and have had to build resilience are the ones who actually can step up once they're in the top league is it have you found that to be similar that is partially that's in my own experience that's part of what i've seen that that that's sort of like where you feel like you're you you like you're you're a um, usurper like you don't belong there you know that 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 kind of comes up a little bit on that but actually when it comes to resilience with top level athletes to answer your question yes I have I've even worked with people like in, in professional sports teams and uh, former Olympic athletes the idea there is former and that's what I'm getting to it's that point in any professional athlete's life it's that point where you have to give it up. Because you're either not performing the way you want to perform, you're, the expectations are, you know, or you get forcibly retired. I mean, there's a point where you can't do what your entire life has been built around. Again, those stories, that, those beliefs about yourself. And mm. when, you're, when you get out of that, you reach that, that, that point of crisis. And so, yes, if that athlete has really worked extreme, they've all worked, you know, to get to that level, they've all worked extremely hard. But if, and I won't say, I can't say this for for professional athletes because it's really not true. Uh, it doesn't come easily. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, yes, there's some, there can be some innate talent, but they work extremely hard to get mm. with where they're at. But it's that other side of it that becomes a huge crisis point. And then that's where my, my work has been the most valuable. We should, We should make sure that we return to that before we finish then, because there will be um, listeners who are engaged in triathlon who might be facing the realization that they can't continue running because they've got arthritis in the knees or the hip, that they've got a recurrent Achilles problem, um, that their back's too sore to allow them to keep to keep cycling and they're going to have to give up. And just, just a point of clarification as well. When you talk about stories, could we interchange that with the word identity that yes, we create absolutely. about ourselves? And so we go through life. If, you know, I, I remember when I first started doing triathlon many, many years ago, most people had heard of the Ironman in Hawaii and that was about it. There weren't many people doing um, any triathlon. So it was a point of difference. Whereas most of my friends were playing rugby or golfing or whatever. And so you stood out. And I know I've heard lots of people say, oh, in my village, I'm known as Bill the Iron Man, the mad one that runs around all the time in his shorts. And they, that's that story they've created for themselves. And then when they yep. have to give up that, again, they feel like, well, how, how are people going to know me now if I'm no longer able to do Ironman triathlon? 
There is, yeah, there's so many different points. Yes, we'll talk about that, but there's so many different points on that. Obviously, it's the way you've you've just you've created some distinctiveness about yourself. You've created some sort of identity that you and others have accepted as true. And so that's one of the other issues about identity and stories is that it's not just you involved in them. Other people are wrapped up in those as well. So then you start having guilt. You start having, you know, all sorts of different things in having to address and change those things along with then. Um, again, you're, especially when you're talking about somebody who is driven to to do the you know, going to triathlon or whatever, you know, where that just can't get dropped. And so a lot of times I have found that somebody, if we can't rechannel, we'll talk about some more specifics, but if we can't get that rechanneled in, in some productive mm-hmm. ways, it ends up being self, it ends up coming, usually coming back as self-destructive. So you talk in your introduction and some and in your bio about the ability to experience and live in the unknown, right? And to face those fears. Now you might, at first thoughts, um, say, oh, all right, fears are, I don't like spiders. I don't like being um, confined to small spaces. But those, there can be other fears, can't there? There can be fears of public speaking. There can be fears of having confrontational or, or difficult conversations with people where we express our feelings. You know, it doesn't have to be a physical manifestation of fear. You know, jumping from a high building or um, like the Special Forces guys, jumping out of a plane, um, from 30,000 feet and free falling to, to do those, what they call high altitude, low opening type things. That, that's, that's, that's a very real fear, but there's other stuff. Um, so how do you go about, how do you go about starting those? Cause I can understand if you don't like getting hit in the face by somebody with a boxing glove, just <laughs> go and do it enough until you get used to it. Um, but how, but how do you get used to having difficult conversations for instance? Well, the, the, the challenge of all this, by the way, I was going to add two other things that could be our big fears and almost near universal, although they're polar opposites, fear of success and fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Those are really big ones as well. And, and when, when, the reason why I brought those up is because we're dealing with tangibles and intangibles here when we're talking about fears. Um, and I, so just to kind of address what you're, where you're going with this. So one of the things that I do is I first help wor- working with the person is, Let's first discern whether we're dealing with basically what I call valid invalid. Are we dealing with basically a valid fear? Getting punched in the face is a valid fear. Sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or are we or or are you know being you know, or you know, some of the other fears you mentioned, those are those really valid or those are beliefs that we've developed and and hold as as true, even though we know instinctively that they're they're not, at least in our experience. So we deal with we deal with a lot of we you know those th- that validity testing is part of it. The other part of it is also recognize that um, I remember there was a book that I read and I think it was in the 1980s or 1990s and I really liked the title of it. It was called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway," and that's almost to the that was almost a beautiful crux of to how to. Uh, to live, you know, with the fears is, is that, you know, it, you know, a lot of people, when they started, when they start thinking about this and start addressing it, they think the idea here is that we have to kind of overcome the fears that we have to somehow 
squash them down and, and build ourselves over them. And what I'm saying and what I share with the folks I work with is that that's not what the focus of all this is. It's recognizing that the fears are there and whether they're valid or invalid, we hold them as true. And that it, what we really need to start uh, putting our focus on is not trying to live our lives without fear, it's trying to live them with fear. And so we're not trying to jettison things. We're trying to, we're trying to understand perhaps how we can um, stay on the goals and stay in the, in the direction that we want to go, even though we're feeling all these other things and experiencing all these other things in our life. And that is one of the big differences with what ultimately gets somebody successful through uh, special operations training is recognize that they are not perfect, recognize that they will never be perfect, recognize that life is a challenge, that there's always going to be hurts, there's always going to be fears, there's always going to be something they can be better at. But here's the difference. They recognize that and they understand that their role now is to just constantly work on making themselves better, not perfect, but better. And that action point is one of the things that we work with people on is like, okay, you're feeling, let's say, fear around this. If it's a valid fear, that's one thing. If it's an invalid fear, let's create some scenarios. Let's create some experiences or actions that help you maybe not have to address that full on directly with what you fear, but let's understand where that fear is really coming from. And ultimately what I have found is that fear is Uh, where people feel fear is when they feel vulnerable. They realize that life is an unknown. I mean, we inherently have fears because we don't know what's about to, we don't know what's going to happen any one minute to the next. So in that absence of knowing and understanding, especially with somebody who's driven and is achievement oriented, that is a very tough place to be. So it's developing the skill sets to be in that place of feeling vulnerable and imperfect and fearful and still staying on track and moving moving forward so i guess one thing about fear is that we don't want to it's the fear of facing up to who we really are at that particular time and and in order to make ourselves better so does this all start with a period of sort of very honest self-reflection then and maybe um maybe getting some feedback from others around you so asking i i, I chat with potential triathlon coaches all the time who perhaps don't like to get feedback because they're afraid of what they might hear that the that the feedback is well you um you could do better at this they don't want to hear that so they don't bother asking and when you don't bother asking you don't find out and then you can't move forward well what i would say is this and you're absolutely right i mean i don't i don't think that holds for any anyone really a lot of most folks don't like feedback. I think it's, mm. I think that's just an innate. We don't like, because we, because here's the thing is we're going to, where there's, it's not whole, it's not like this, but we're going to perceive it and receive it as criticism. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's why people kind of wall themselves off from it, even though it's maybe offered well and well-intentioned and, and, and in a good way, we're going to receive that and generally perceive it as criticism. And that is not a, a receptive place in which to start embracing some mm-hmm. expanded point of self. Where I talk about where one of the best places to start is, is your general malaise, unhappiness, unsettlement and things. 
You're nothing's like really going wrong in your life. But nothing really feels like it's going right. It, it it feels like unsettled. Those kind of points. That's the best. You know that that in a way that's the same thing. It's just not felt as strongly, perhaps. But mm-hmm. that is usually a good point for people to start with, in trying to start saying, okay. Um, I'm not feeling really right about my life or where it's going and those kind of things. Let's kind of start the ball rolling here and let's start fig- figuring out maybe what fi- make, makes makes things work better for me or fi- you know that kind of thing. So that's a good starting point. Okay, I'm, I, I still need a bit of guidance on getting the hang of this, David. So can you give me a specific example around that about somebody who might think, well, I can't put my finger on what it is, but I know it's not quite right. You know, if, if you if you can't put your finger on it, how do you know where to start out? You know, what, what do you do? Right. Well, I mean, basically what ends up happening is this is the point is, in fact, there was a, a woman I was working with recently uh, or still still am or we're wrapping some things up is, you know, she she has she's had a company now. She's uh, run a company for about the better part of Oh, 20 some years. Um, and like any self-employed company, you know, and everything you, you have your goods and you know, your bad years and everything, but overall she's gotten herself through it. She's gone through some, some big challenges. She is, she's, she's made it. She's got a hat, you know, she, she's got all the accoutrements of life around her. She's got a, a family, you know, all the nine yards, but she is, she feels completely unsettled it's like it's not it's not good enough it's like she knows she doesn't need more of what she has but it's like what she has isn't working anymore so it was just this general i just i don't understand she even would use this kind of language i'm i'm everything you look at my life on paper everything is okay it's not perfect but it's okay i should be okay but i don't feel okay and i don't understand why and what i was ultimately started to work with her on is in her experience and where she's with the, the stress point and the concern point for her is she has no exit. She has no way of extracting herself. She's changed. She has different desires. She has different things she wants to accomplish. She wants to travel. She wants to do all these things. And she ultimately, when we drilled down to what it was that was really creating the point of friction for her, where it wasn't matching with where she was, it was because inside her, she realized what she was doing. It worked for her before, but it isn't anymore. And she didn't understand that. And she didn't know how to even come up with the ideas of what would work for her now. And so it's helping her recognize that and transition into that. So it would be very difficult for an individual to to work this out for themselves, wouldn't it? They would need to speak with somebody who was going to ask them some challenging and and reflective questions and doing that whole five wise thing. Okay, so tell me about that. Okay, why is that important to you? Okay, so why is that going to work? Okay, why until you get actually you dig down right down to the to the very bottom, yeah. I've had, and you're exactly right. That's why people like you and I and other coaches are out there, is we're that we're that person to ask. In a in a supportive way, those those tough those tough and challenging questions, and it's it's funny. It is uh, not funny, like hilarious, but uh, like it's it's so moving when you get to that nugget, when you get to that sort of that point of gestation where all this stuff is coming from. You'll just see this look of like not only aha, but sometimes sometimes there'll be there'll be tears. There'll be just you know sometimes there's laughter. It's just so funny. All of a sudden, the the, the it's like 
oh, that's it. And so much starts rolling from those points. So I can imagine the aha moment when somebody realizes, ah, it's because I don't know how to get out of this business. It's the business is me. I'm the business. I'm putting a hypothetical example in now. What happens if somebody realizes that the result of all that or the reason for all MLAs is because the relationship, the long-term relationship they're, you know, they're in isn't working? I mean, that must be really hard for you to approach. But, you know, as you've just said, the business changed and the woman changed, but they were going, they were almost like going apart and she didn't know how to finally make the break. But it's, but it's, it's a business. It's an, it's an entity, isn't it? It's not a relationship with emotions tied up in it. And there will be people who are listening to this who might be thinking, actually, that is me. So how, how do you start, how do you start tackling that one? Yeah. Well, you know what, to be honest with you. So first of all, I allow those, I, I guide and I, you know, guide the, the person to kind of come up with their own discernment and their own aha. I'm not forcing. I mean, I no. may be, you and I both know as a coach, we kind of see what the problem is, but it's not our role to tell them. It's our role to help guide them into that realization. Um, and of course it could be other things as well. So sometimes, you know, we, we don't have that perfect. So there's other nuances to that, that only they will know and, and come mm-hmm. up to. So you're helping them to that point. To your point, though, is really because I've actually had I've seen this quite common, especially with what we've gone through. The world's gone through the past couple of years Mm -hmm. is a huge issue with regards to changing relationships, whether it's parents and siblings or spouses. I just was working with three of the clients I've been working with past year into into and through divorces. So, yes, you're absolutely right. These these moments, these personal moments, which can be very heart rending. And um, especially be, uh, when you go to identities and all those kind of things. Um, and what you, what I do is, so first we we delve into where, what really is the issue. What you know, what are what what are we really dealing with here? Is this something that you can control, or is this some? Because when you're dealing with relationships, some of it is out of your control. Um, can there be some? other work done that helps improve that. And I mean, you go through those, you go through all these different kinds of steps as a coach. And when you get to that point where you realize that, or I shouldn't say you realize, they realize that no, in order for me to really move forward in my life, I need to let go of whatever this relationship is. Then you work with them and you help them understand that they're still, they're going, they, they're going to have every emotion possible in this scenario. They're, they, they're divorcing somebody, but they all, in the, in the examples that I'm providing, they're divorcing or they're letting go of a relationship and it's okay to still love them. You know, there's still going to be those parts, those memories, that, that, that connection there. You're going to, you, you might, you probably will still find points where you still love them, that you, where you miss them. You're going to be blaming yourself. You're going to be blaming them. There's going to be anger. There's going to be all these things. And what I really help people do is try, and I'm there to hold their hand, kind of, even if it's figurative, even if it's over like, like Zoom here. I'm here to help kind of help them through what they're feeling. Not to suppress it, because the moment it starts, you know, the moment we start, whatever we're going through in life, the moment I, this is my own belief, when we start hiding from and suppressing and ignoring what we're honestly feeling, Mm. you can't have, you cannot progress, you cannot heal, you cannot move on. So that is, so that, you know, and that could be short or long for folks, but it's a process, but everyone gets to the other side. That's, it's good. 
now listeners please if you're thinking that you didn't subscribe to this podcast to listen to relationship um comments conversations and uh, and that sort of thing let me let me just give you an example here the, the athletes that i work with most of whom are age group like like the rest of the listeners they're so what we call weekend warriors recreation athletes but the ones who achieve the best from themselves who who achieve um that goal of i want to see how good i can be the ones who get closest to it tend to be the ones who have balance in their lives most triathletes will do all the training how you respond to the training is often down to other things. Some of it will be genetics, but that's a small percentage in this. There's plenty of documented evidence to show that genetics only plays a small part. It's about how you respond and adapt to the training and how you adapt to the training is often down to how balanced your life is and how much harmony you have, or in the opposite example, not being able to achieve those goals is about the disharmony in your life. So, and, and, Extending on from that, I see a lot of athletes who pick an extreme physical goal as if that's going to be something that's going to solve all of their problems. And when they get to the finish line and they have that brief moment of exhilaration for a couple of days, um, then they go back to the previous disharmonious life, if that's the right word, and realize actually that hasn't fixed it, except now they haven't got that big thing to focus on. So they're even deeper into this sort of mire that they've got. So. I would, if I may, if I may add to that, to, to kind of strengthen what you were just sharing with your audience is that you need to understand that inherent in sports, especially with high level sports. And if this is not a bad thing, that's not a criticism. It's an inherently selfish thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, in a way, and you have to kind of understand that that's going to have an effect around your career, all the other things that you might like to do, you might have to not, you may not have the time to do it anymore. And it's going to certainly affect all your, all, all the people in your life. You know, I've had spouses use their children against the other spouse, you know, like you're, you, you need to run again, but you know, you're not spending any time with the kids. I mean, I've had, you know, the, these are, these are real life conversations, whether they're actually happening or not, they are going to be part of your experience, especially for athletes. So absolutely. I totally agree with you. Having that balance or at least that understanding across all the different aspects of your life, especially relationships is going to do wonders for sort of releasing you so that you can, uh, move strongly into what you're doing about 15 years ago but it still stands in my mind very strongly i did a presentation to this group of would-be ironman triathletes at a, at a conference and my first question was okay who's doing an ironman this year and 95 percent of the hands in the room go up i said okay keep your hand up if you had a conversation with your partner beforehand about your intention and it was frightening the number of <laughs> hands that dropped i would say that probably only 10 percent of the hands were remaining and that staggered me because at some point as the training volume increases there's going to be those points of friction where um you and your partner have two children to look after you have a six-hour bike ride or a two-hour run in the plan, and your partner has 
their plans to go off and meet the friends for a day out. And nobody's yet worked out who's going to take the children to football or to dance practice or whatever. And of course, if you haven't had the conversation with your partner, then your request for um, a, a little pass out for the day is going to be met with some rolling eyes and uh, and a firm no, isn't it? Because, oh no, you didn't tell me about this Iron Man thing. So why should I concede here? Right. But that, so communication amongst the various people involved in all of this has also got to be a key thing, hasn't it? In, in creating harmony and understanding that, yes, we'll be focused on these tasks more at other times than others, but with communication and understanding that like a, like any loan, we're going to have to pay that goodwill back at sometimes that, that will help. Yeah. That will help retain the harmony. Won't it? Absolutely. It, you know, it will, it will help strengthen the opportunity for harmony. <laughs> Let's just put it that yes. way. Sometimes you may not have that harmony anyway, because there's feelings, there's emotions, there's all sorts of things involved. And, and there's always going to be some party in any relationship that's going to feel slighted in some mm. way. But generally, yes, if I mean, you know, we're not looking at again, like we talked about before, we're not looking for perfect here. We're just looking, I think, in a lot of at least if the relationships are strong and there's love mm. there, at least at least most will recognize effort. <laughs> so if they know your tribe, that helps tremendously. So you, you talked earlier also about vulnerability. And we've, I've talked to my brother's been on this podcast. He's a courage coach, so probably very similar to what you do, David, in the UK. And he helps people to face those fears, if you like, and, and sort of understand that they have courage so they can face those fears and be the person they want to be. And he talks about vulnerability. He, he loves Brenny Brown. He studied with her. I think you probably, I know that you're familiar with her work. And um, most people I know that are in that industry put her on a big, very high pedestal for the stuff that she's done. And I've, I have learned because I have a couple of friends in the special forces that actually sharing vulnerability is the opposite of what you'd expect from people like that. Rather than being this hard man who doesn't express their feelings, they, they can actually be quite vulnerable. And that's what makes them good team members and makes them the sort of person that others will want to work with. So is vulnerability is, and sharing vulnerability another of those fears that we feel uncomfortable doing and something that we need to expose ourselves to? Ex- absolutely. And that's one of the biggest challenges is, is, sort of it's sort of the word that never gets mentioned mm. but it's the thing that it's one of the big things that needs to be talked about is it's because here's where unfortunately going back to identity and stories we have beliefs about how we're supposed to be mm-hmm. we have beliefs about our understandings that have been projected on us or what we have what we hold as true or even how we feel about ourselves and, you know, what we should or shouldn't be doing or feeling or all these kind of things, too. And that's one of the big points, uh, especially in the initiation of, of work is uh, with with a client is understanding that we don't have to we don't have to put the word to it. We don't. I mean, you know, sometimes the, just identifying it is the problem but there's still a feeling there. There's still there's a there's a nugget there and we don't have to put a name to it. We can let that go for right now. Because we haven't built like just like building the body, um, you know, you're asking it to bench press three. Um, you know, you're asking it to bench press three hundred or five hundred pounds, and you haven't gotten a hundred pounds off the bar yet. So, I mean, if we're asking someone to do this deep emotional and intellectual work without training those muscles to get there, it's not going to work either. So, it's a pro. It's a process. So, basically, I would say, 
if if you're at a place or a belief around the word vulnerable, you know, being vulnerable or feeling vulnerable, like you're not, that's not supposed to be how we feel, that kind of thing, you know, using the special forces as, as an example, mm-hmm. at least recognize as a human being that we all have some degree of it that the, the, you know whether whether it's high or low stronger stronger or weak whatever it is that there as a human being living in this world there is always going to be some vulnerability and you don't have to put a word to it you don't have to put you don't have to understand why it is what it is yet you don't need to understand any of those things just simply recognizing that you, this doesn't feel good um and understand and one of the first points is is what's the first thing that you feel like doing when you feel that you feel like running away you feel like hiding you feel like anger you feel like what's that point that's that's the one of the starting points of my work with somebody in dealing or developing courage and handling and and understanding vulnerability is the moment you feel or even you use that word, what's the first things that you feel like doing or what's the first things that you feel? That's the point that we will focus on as the start of, of developing and growing out of that. We don't have to put a word to it. All I know is so you feel so there, there's some people who will react out of they will they will react aggressively. They'll re, they'll act out in anger or they'll go to the bottle or, you know, whatever. You know, there's there's some point there. So, OK, we don't need to call it this right now, but we know that whatever it is that you're doing when you're feeling this or you're thinking about this is causing you to do that. So let's let's start there. And then eventually they'll they'll be able to put then they may even put their own word to it. But eventually they'll they'll get there as you develop those courage muscles like your brother would say, you know, you, you have to, yeah, these are muscles that have to be built. So I'm, I'm trying to keep bringing this back to actions and lessons that um, endurance athletes can put into their life as well. Cause um, you know, that's most of the people who are listening to this. Are, well, they're probably reading and seeing those posters where it says you should have big, scary, hairy goals. And, you know, or they, they've seen that motivational post that says do something scary or something that scares you every day without really knowing why they're doing it or what's it, what they're doing it for. But, but then once they've, you know, they're sitting in the comfort of their own home and, we, and we're coming into the race season now. So some of these races that they entered six months, maybe a couple of years ago are now becoming very real and it's starting to bite, you know, actually I'm going to have to do this thing. How are they going to deal with those fears and those anxieties? You know, I'll give you some typical ones. Somebody who's never run more than 10 miles, but has entered for a 100K ultra race, thinking that'll be a, that'll be a challenge for me. Somebody who has entered a triathlon, but doesn't really like swimming, but manages to go to the swimming pool where they can see the bottom and the sides and the wall to touch, and they've got lifeguards, is now going to have to enter a dark lake and swim two miles with just some guys in rubber dinghies over there to the side, looking to see if you put your hand up, you know, those, those are some of the huge anxieties I face. So how do, how do you go about facing that? And how do you go about sharing with people? Well, you're supposed to be the fit guy that does this or the fit girl, but are you telling me you're scared? So here's, so first of all, I love, and I agree with, yes, you need to have those big, hairy, scary goals. The question that I add to that is when, and so let me take you a step back. We, we set these goals for ourselves without 
perhaps understanding the process to get there, just like training the body, like what just back to all your listeners, back when you first started this whole process of going into triathlon, you didn't just start off, you know, you, you started off running around the block. <laughs> you know, you started, there was a point you got into the pool for the first time, learned how to swim, whatever, wherever that beginning point was for you. So the, the old adage, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> so you like when you're dealing with these big, hairy, scary goals, they're awesome. And they are a great thing in which to aim for. The question is, is are you giving yourself sufficient time to get there? And without putting, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a date thing. It's, it's a, it's a, a, a growth thing so what i tell people is is to get there what you do is you go to your next scare just look at where you're at now and just go to the next thing that scares you and then go to the next thing that scares you and then go to the next thing that scares you and go to the next just like eating that elephant one bite at a time basically you're you're increasing your capacity for handling fear you're increasing your abilities but you're giving yourself the you know the, the just like training the body you're training mm-hmm. you know you're training the courage muscles you're you're giving yourself the capability to handle that handle scare you know that that's hairy scary goal right so i i, I... I recognize that now it's it's building up your exposure to these situations so first go and dip you go down to the lake and see that it's not quite as scary convince yourself that there aren't any big fish in there that are going to eat you that they're all going to be afraid of you you know just go and stand in the dark water for a little bit and see what happens see see if it's cold see if it's warm what it feels like you know then go and dip your head under the water and then go for a swim out to a friend who's waiting in a boat 10 meters away, you know, so slowly, you know, just spend 10 or 15 minutes in there, slowly increasing that so that over time, when it comes to the big day, yes, of course, you're going to be anxious. That's part of doing something that's taking you into the unknown. But, but as soon as you start doing the processes that are going to get you there, that those anxieties should be forgotten. Absolutely. They'll, you'll, you'll laugh. Just like everyone listening to this looks back on wherever it was that they started and don't even realize the don't have totally forgotten the struggle and all the things that they went through at the time that they made even the decisions to start this process. Uh, because we, we've, we've done so much growth. We've, we've expanded so much. But it was there, I can guarantee you, just as much as where you're at right now, you'll be able to look back on and, and say, what, what was the big fuss about? I do speak to a lot of people who will say I'm I'm so anxious about this, but normally I find that particularly when, when they're standing on the start line and they're anxious, it's, it's a lack of preparation. Generally, they haven't exposed themselves to those things. So when we swim in open water, I don't know if you've ever seen the start of a triathlon, David, but although they've, they've changed it somewhat now, mostly, mostly to do with safety, but also governed by the COVID rules to, to have people not starting one big mass sort of, um, group of almost like piranhas sort of flashing into the sea but still you're going to be swimming with lots of people around you and you know, those people are trying to swim down to the next orange buoy just like you are and there's a lot of people going for a small space and so you're bound to get people tapping your feet putting the hand on your back which makes it feel like they're trying to push you under banging you on the head none of it is deliberate or personal it's just everybody trying to fight for the same space like it is if we're all trying to get onto the subway at the same time Um, but if you haven't exposed yourself to that in training then it's going to seem scary 
And if you're already anxious about the water, then you're going to stop thinking about the process of turning your arms over and swimming and start thinking about, oh, my God, I'm going to drown here. In fact, it's not even just, it might not even just feel scary. It might feel overwhelming. You know, sometimes, mm. you know, I've, I've talked with some athletes, you know, and I've trained people, you know, it hasn't been a big thing of, of my work for triathlons, but I have had people who, who do do triathlons. Um, sometimes they've had panic attacks where, you know, literally, especially in the first one or two times where, you know, literally it's like, you know, you know, you're sometimes you're, you know, you're getting clubbed in the face with a foot or something I mean, like yeah. it's just it's just a, it's a melee you know and it could be and and then the other thing too is of course sometimes is when you when you're transitioning to the bikes and things and you know you're you're you know you're you're trying to uh, change what you're you know change the clothes you know you're trying to jump on as well as everybody else so there's always these these free-for-all moments and it it just it can be really overwhelming there's there, that's a point that is very important that you're, you're highlighting is there is a, there's also a difference between the experience of solo training and mm-hmm. training in an environment with or training or actually competing in an environment with other people. Mm-hmm. And so that one of the one of the steps for somebody who is, let's say, a triathlete would be one of the fear points is then to start training with other people, start going into, you know, uh, try to network with people in in the area in which you are, so that you can you can be in the water at the same time. You may not be obviously. I doubt you're going to be right on top of each other, but at least just even being in the water and all of that, because it feel it feels different. It's churning around you. It's turgid. It's you know it's it's moving around. Waves are being created. All sorts of things. So it's a lot different in in that sort of a situation than just yourself. Uh, swimming by swimming by yourself or even with a, with a person you need other people and that could be like one of those bites that help you up to the to the to actually a competition yeah i like that um also at the beginning you talked about building strength and resilience and how the, the people who generally got through the special forces selection are those people who hadn't had things go all their own way and had to learn to deal with setbacks and obstacles and find a way around them or through them or you know if they couldn't find a way they, like Hannibal said if we'll find a way or we'll create one won't we right. um so if you only ever train on your own and then you go to do a race there's going to be a point of realization where you props aren't as good as you thought you were and that's going to lead to disappointment some might see it as failure. Others might say, well, failure is actually, it's not that it's an opportunity for learning and for moving forwards. But with, with each of those disappointments, I say that word guardedly, we can build resilience, can't we? So if we reframe everything um, and look at setbacks as a way to move ourselves forward, that's actually going to make us stronger in the end. So how do you, how do you teach that? And where do you start? So the first thing is I recognize that to, to the point that you're describing, and I, I, I totally agree with you, but a lot, unfortunately, a lot of people are not okay to be in that space of failure. So a lot of times they'll give up. Right. That would be their point where they just kind of throw their hand, you know, because we were not trained, we're not socialized, we're not taught that it's okay to fail uh, or, or not be, not be number, you know, how, whatever that perspective is, so that when it happens to us, especially in the beginning, maybe forever, you know, uh, we we don't have the we don't even have the perspective of understanding that. So that's one of the things. That's one of the best 
points in which to interact with a coach or somebody else who has a different perspective that can help maybe help you understand that experience a little bit better. But then to take with where, with, to where your question was is so is is recognizing that just like we were talking about before, resilience is also uh, resilience uh, encourage. I'm, I'm going to use the term the two interchangeably here, but we'll say with perhaps we'll say with resilience is also a muscle. It, 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 it's born from doing and experiencing, understanding and just coming right back to it. When you were in school growing up and you were in first grade and you got a bad grade on your test, you didn't just say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going, <laughs> no, I'm not going on. So what I, the reason why I'm bringing that up is you have to create a structure in your life where you do not allow yourself to quit. Mm-hmm. If this is something that is something that you really want to do, and it's something that you want to enjoy, even though maybe in that moment of loss, you're not liking it right now, you have to create a structure with you're not allowing yourself to quit. Say, like in that moment, say, okay, I'll give it a year, or I'll give it to you. But give yourself some sort of, whether it's a time frame, whether whatever it is, you need a structure that you can hang your hat on to get you, if you're not talking, let's say, with, with somebody like you or I, or, or, or somebody else who's a trusted friend to get you through that that mm-hmm. moment of, of failure, then, then give yourself, give yourself a framework in which you can allow yourself the space to get better, to see if you get a different experience out of it, a different result out of it. That is the, my best thought there to address that. I always think it's, um, I always think it's amusing that if, if you and I were on a car journey and you took a wrong turn, you just calmly drive up the road until you can find an opportune place to turn around or you find uh, sat nav helps you to find a different route to get back on track to reach your destination. And and uh, I don't know of anybody who would get out of the car, kick the tire, throw the keys into the hedge and then say, well, that's it. There's no point in going to X now. I'm just going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. Right. Nobody would do that. Well- my dad did. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Apart from your dad. But, but to but your I, point, you're absolutely but, but, right. But I know nobody does that. And yet, in a different situation, we start a new diet on January the 1st. On January the 10th, we get invited out by friends. We have a pizza, a couple of beers, and a nice dessert. And then we wake up next morning and go, oh, no, the diet's broken now. What's the point? And carry on. And you give up. Right, so I... Please explain to me why in certain situations we do throw the towel in and just give up and go back to our normal way. And in others, we carry on. We just we do have that resilience to just carry on. You know, what what is that from? So that comes through, I think, way we are, I think to be honest with you, the way the way we are raised. It's the stories that we drag out of our childhoods, it's the stories that we drag out of our schools. Who gets raised embracing failure? <laughs> you know, you know, it's like if you do something wrong, you get punished. If you got a bad grade, you know, I mean, you, we're not raised with the perspective of understanding what what failure is. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a, to me. I tell people failure is a chance to try again. That's what failure is. Doesn't mean you're bad. Doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're being punished. I mean, any of those things. Failure is just simply another opportunity for you to try again. Like Thomas Edison, how many times did he try to get a light bulb going? And it was like a hundred something times. And before he finally got, got it, he, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't give up. He said, okay, he just found one out one way. This won't work. Let me try a different way. 
Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's just knuckling down. We know we're doing the right thing. We just need to do it more, you know, that that sort of thing. So we just have to understand that all that all that socialization, all that training, all that we've been trained right now to re, to not embrace failure. So when it happens, it could become it could become a, a point where we just give up if we, you know, especially if it's something that we haven't really done yet. We're not sure if we really like it to where or, or it could be something completely devastating if it's something that we're having. Let's say, I mean, look at, um, uh, you know, somebody who's been very successful at sports or triathlon all of a sudden is not performing very well. Imagine those those that dialogue going on in, 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 in there for them. I mean, you know, it's like we we don't understand that in that particular case, that may be something that okay, we may have to embrace to to your point that you mentioned earlier in the call about somebody who's injured or something like who may not be able to ride the bike or do the run or something like that. It's like, okay, how can I reframe what I'm doing to embrace the things that I can still do? Uh, or maybe this is the point where I need to rechallenge myself and segue into something else that also feels good or something that maybe something it's maybe something that I really wanted to do as well, but I didn't have the time or the attention to do it before now. Now maybe the time. So the point that you're talking about is universal. The question that is going to be is when we're in that moment, what comes next? Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think f- for sure. Um, there will be more than a few listeners on the show thinking I'm going to have to change sports. I mean, I've been through this myself. You know, running is no longer a pleasure for me. I, I enjoy running easily through the woods. Running hard just leaves me feeling more battered the next day than it does feeling like I'm getting any fitter. And so I'm thinking, well, do I really need to keep doing this to myself? Yeah, it's like hitting my, I wouldn't keep hitting myself on the head with a hammer if it hurt every morning. Well, I know it hurts, so I don't do it. But um, why do I keep going out and thinking, yeah, if I just have a few months of this, I'm going to become a world-beating runner again. I was never a world-beating runner. So um, it's unlikely to change at the age of 58. But still, in my mind, I've been a triathlete for 35 years. And I keep thinking, well, maybe I can't do these, but maybe I could do that. Actually, the best thing would be just to go, you know, I'm not going to do any triathlons anymore. I enjoy walking for pleasure. I can still swim and cycle. And now I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to paddleboard or I'm going to kayak in the ocean because they, they, you know, they leave me feeling sore, but not quite as bad as running. Right. I have a client. Uh, she is uh, uh, from, uh, she's from France and a remarkable woman. She actually has been a triathlete, but in, in the bike portion of one of her trainings, she got hit by a car very badly, you know, hit bang up over the car kind of a thing. And, you know, artificial hit, you know, like we're going to replace half your body here kind of thing. And absolutely devastated in, and because I mean, she's in her sixties. So she had been doing this forever. So in working with her, what we did was we segued her and swimming was great. So that was not a problem. So she embraced swimming. And to your point, she started bringing in some other sports and other activities and things that she really enjoyed um, that were in her case, she needed it to be physical. So there's, there were still some things in her case, it was one of the, one of them is pickleball. <laughs> she loves pickleball. So that's great. It's not a question of whether it's right or wrong or, you know, it's not, it's, it's what's right for you. It's what may, 
makes you feel good. And and for her, she really needs that physical component to it. For others, I had a gentleman, and this is not an athlete per se, but this was a he was a he was a surgeon from World War II when I started training him, you know, working with him. He was in his 80s, for goodness sakes. And he ended up passing away when he was 90. But awesome man. He he was a surgeon in World War II, very accomplished medically. He had to face retiring. And then of course that esteem and all that identity that he was getting from other people had to be, was lost. And, but in my work with him, he, he led on an idea that he always wanted to learn to paint, but he wasn't going to be any good. You know, I said, well, to start with, you might not be, but man, it's just like anything, just like medicine, all these other things that you've accomplished, you possibly can be, or at least enjoy it. Well, anyway, long story short, he did finally, you know, we guided through all that initial part, got through all the stuff about starting and everything. And if you, it's a little blurry, but if you notice, there's something hanging on my wall. Well, when he passed away, his widow got in touch with me and he had, he, uh, he really appreciated my work with him and helping him find that new path for himself. He painted, he painted me something. Wow. And it's the only it's the only painting that I have in, in my home, because uh, it, it for me, it's it's an understanding mm-hmm. and embracing of what's next, what comes next in my life. It's allowing yourself the it's it's it, it it's OK to let it's just like it's like the toys of childhood. At some mm-hmm. point, you have to kind of pack them up, maybe give them to somebody else that can enjoy them and move on to something that can be equally as fun and as good but different. And that's a, that's a, that is a tough, tra- I agree with you. That is a very tough transition point, but that's an important point that all of us are going to face mm. in so many different aspects of our life is our ability to, to do and experience the things that we did as a youth is going to change as we get older. And that's an important perspective to have is give us, gives our, give ourselves the space to take it easy on ourselves and not beat ourselves up because we can't perform like we did when we were 15 years old. We just have to stop stop hurting ourselves that way emotionally yeah so actually change requires some self-compassion as well doesn't it really to stop beating yourself up to stop whether that's physically beating yourself up by going and doing the things that you know make your knees hurt make your back hurt means you need three days to recover before you can do it again but there's still some perverse idea that you can succeed if you just keep trying so that there needs to be some self-compassion, which is one thing, but also maybe rather than things being forced upon you and it's like, okay, now I've got to make a decision. It's well, okay, I'm, I'm going to think about what, I mean, for me, it was like, okay, if I want to continue to enjoy the things that I'm doing now, all of the, or most of the things that I enjoy doing now, when I'm in my late sixties, what am I going to have to do? What about if I had a conversation when I was 68 where the surgeon said to me, I'm sorry, Simon, we're going to need to replace both knees. But if you'd stopped running 10 years ago, you wouldn't have got to this place. So then do I do I want to have that conversation with him? Can I fast forward myself to where I'd like to be when I'm 68? Because I don't envisage I'll be running then. But and, well, and, then, so- and then can I and then can I slowly start to transition towards that so it doesn't happen? So here's the point that I, I and I run into this a lot, as I, as I know you have as well. So here's the challenge that I have with regards to that is that 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 discussion point that you said, if you had given this up sooner, you would have been fine. I disagree with that. I, I The body is the body. I have people who have never done a sport in their life with bad knees. 
Mm-hmm. It, 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 it may, you know, it's, I don't think one necessarily preclude, you know, guarantees the other. Now, that being said, to your point with triathletes, yes, it, you know, there is that point where it, 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 it is an issue and it certainly is enhancing the opportunity for there to be bad knees, let's say, but we also can also pick out people who kind of went to the end of their days into their nineties. They were just fine. Didn't have any problem. So what I'm getting to is so, so first as I understand, so that person, that, that, what I call living your life in the rear view mirror, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if only I had done this decision back then, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be experienced when I am now. And you might be right, but you also might be wrong. And in that, in that unknown, you just have to, you know, because you can't win out of that. If you're having that dialogue with yourself, you're blaming yourself. You're, 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 you're berating yourself and nothing, you can't get good. You can't good, good, good processes out of that. So I still just tell people, just forget the what ifs, forget the maybes, could as, should as, forget all that. You have, you have no more control over changing your decisions now anyway. So it's, it's lost energy. It's lost attention, lost time. Don't worry about it. This is the scenario that you're facing. This is the thing that you're dealing with. How do we turn this into something that you can move forward with and feel good about yourself and your life, that you're doing the things you want to do. Okay. Knees are bad. Okay. So let's, first of all, let's look at some things that you can do now to make them feel better. I, you know, I, sometimes people move into yoga, you know, they move into other, other things, help stretch, help, you know, help Mm -hmm. non-impact, non, you know, if you need the physical, they go into different sports that don't involve, let's say, you know, the, the impact on the, on the, on the, on the knees, uh, or like the the doctor, the surgeon, they, they move into activities that they always had the hope of being able to have the time to, to do before. Now you do, um, you know, it's, but it, but it has to start with stop kicking yourself, stop blaming yourself for what happened. It happened. You can no more control this than, you know, the, 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 the responses of the body. Yes, you're, you're correct in that what we do to our bodies has an impact on our bodies, but we never, you know, one of the things that we need to, as athletes is, is in in really be really good about listening to our bodies, you know, give it that, that extra rest, give it that, you know, those things that, that massage or that sauna or something that help, you know, helps heal us. It isn't just about hitting yourself with hard training. It's also the, the process of recuperation afterwards. And when all those things have been addressed and you're still facing these things, then, then, then it takes a hard, takes some harder questions and some, uh, more more um, resilient answers from yourself to to move forward, but there but there it's an important dialogue, and it's one that we're all going to have at some point. Mm, I suppose accepting that we're all going to have that, and building resilience along the way, so that when that time does come, we have the capacity to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. What I've learned today, David, is that vulnerability is okay that facing up to our fears is good, that stepping into the unknown is fine, and it actually increases our capacity as a human being. But we don't want to do it straight away. We need to have small exposures to each of these situations so we slowly become used to it. And, and I guess most people will be familiar with the idea that you mentioned earlier, you know, somebody in the gym wants to bench press 300 pounds, but if they're only bench pressing 100 pounds now, um, it's more likely to end up with them being trapped under the bar than it is 
been successful, but that doesn't mean they're not going to ever be able to do it. But you just need to keep putting a one pound plate on the bar every couple of days. And eventually you'll be able to lift that. Well, that's the same with understanding and dealing with vulnerability and building resilience is we had to, we need to add a one pound plate every now and again and slowly build up. Have, have I, have I had a, have, have I learned a good lesson today? Do you think? You learned a great lesson and I hope your audience has as well. Well, I do too, David, I really do. And I, and I hope that they, um, they're able to find a way of translating what we've talked about into creating some harmony and happiness in their life if they don't have it. And if they do have it already, then maintaining that and expanding their capacity as a human being by taking on some of these lessons we've talked about today and in the process then improving their athletic performance. Absolutely. It's been great. That's brilliant. And and one day maybe they can write to you and they will put your details in the show notes and say, I have now become a living warrior. Absolutely. David D. Francesco, thank you very much for being on the show today. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciated it. Simon, thank you so much. And my thanks and gratitude to your audience as well. Bye for now, David. Bye-bye. Thank you to David for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and subscribe. If you'd like specific guidance and structure for your training, then please think about joining my SWAT community where we have training plans for all types of endurance events as well as monthly live workshops, diving deep on specific subjects that will help you improve your health and performance. And we also have a thriving Facebook community of like-minded individuals. You can also find a link for this in the show notes. Right, that's all for now. Have a great week and I will see you on the next episode.